0: Silent, which I should do It's probably about that. right morning everybody morning. Uh, we've got a few people away this week actually so um, it's an intimate service this week um, but this one is uh, probably my favorite uh, of all the ser- part of the sermons on, the, on the, the Sermon on the Mount. It's one sermon, different sections. Uh, this one is actually about uh, true of course prophets and disciples. Rather than put that out there on on this screen, I've just said it's trustworthiness, uh, which is effectively what it is. It's being trustworthy, trusting God, and being right with him. And so as we look at these, we look at the true and false prophets and disciples, and what we'll find is the main theme, I, I think, because there are many things running through this, by the way, but the one thing I definitely could see was trustworthiness, and um, And so as we don't believe in prophets today, some churches do. uh, Some Christians believe that there are other prophets or the the office of prophet is still there. Um, We might say that the gifts of the prophets, as it were, the people that were in Acts, they are still present because we are what we call continuists, which is that we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still accessible today. And the Holy Spirit still operates uh, today, as he did in Acts. It's not the end Uh, but we don't believe there's another prophet to come except the return of Jesus, and that's it. Uh, There is no other people, even if they claim to be prophets, are actually prophets. So we look to the trustworthiness today today of those who teach and expound the word as well as those who claim to be believers. Uh, Each one, I think we'll see, goes hand in hand, uh, and therefore it sort of becomes circular, and I'll explain how that works. Uh, We'll discover that if we're Following false teachers, uh, we in turn can only go one way and end up being false believers. Equally, those false believers who then continue to spread a false gospel, in effect, teach others. And so are potentially creating other false believers. You see how it works. So if you if you follow false teachers, you become a false believer. You then go and share the false gospel. And so what you're doing is sharing false uh, of course, information, false gospel, uh, as it were. And, and that term even, false gospel, is one I don't like using because it, it still says that it has some value even by adding the word gospel to it. So it's just false information, it's not facts in that sense. So those believers then continue to spread a gospel, teach others, and so it goes round and round. And these verses are very much linked to last week's message on the narrow and wide gates. Uh, Those who are false teachers, false disciples, are on the road to destruction. Those who are true teachers, true disciples, are on the difficult road that leads to life. What we'll learn is how to discern those teaching from the Word and those teaching a different message, a different gospel, a man-centered one, so that we ourselves do not go down the same road as them. What we need to understand is that ultimately the responsibility is actually on each christian to discern and be watchful in our walk and the path that we take and using the bible as our guide in that walk we need to be careful not to embrace the next christian fad new way to do church or be easily dazzled by the performance of any teacher just because they are in a church and call themselves a christian Uh, this is the the sense we'll get when we go through the verses of in uh, people in wolf clothing, in, in uh, sorry in sheep clothing, but wolves uh, underneath that. So the sense that they can still be in churches today, even if that church is 300, 400 people, even if that church is five people, uh, it makes no difference because actually anyone can say uh, that they are a Christian. Uh, there is a way, though, to test that, and we'll see in these verses how that works as well. When we leave church. We should not be primarily focused on the performance of other Christians, other leaders, or leaders to the to that to the extent that what is what we're left with when we go home is being entertained. Instead, we should leave with a sense that we're all learning more about God, more about His Word, and how to keep Jesus at the centre of everything we do. So let's look at the verses. A brief uh, overview of what they say. Uh, 15 to 20, Matthew 7. It says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or, or figs from thistles? That's a tongue twister. <laughs> it should be the next one, and it is. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So what Jesus does to start with, what he does is that he reminds us there are many who would try to guide us along this broad path of destruction that we looked at last week. The first step to identifying these false prophets, these false teachers, is to simply be aware of them. Be aware of them. The goal of false prophets, of false teachers, is to deceive. And so deny their true character. So in effect what they're doing is they're suppressing in some way what, who they really are and trying to show a, an outward image of being a Christian, of being godly, of looking godly in front of people. But really uh, it's just, it's just a, a, a very thin layer a uh, very surface layer uh, of being a Christian. They can even deceive themselves. They can even say that they are a Christian and not know that they're not Christians. And this is quite a technical thing to understand because then we need to understand, well, how do we uh, help people? How do we help people who think they are Christian when they are Not Christian, but believe to be Christians. I'll come on to that as well. The reason for that, why there's this, uh, there, there, there might be this issue where people don't even know it themselves, is why Jesus tells us that we need to approach people carefully. Why we need to be really careful about how we speak to people. Because we don't know. We don't know where they are. But Jesus tells us a way and shows us a way of identifying those people and and helping them. The first pull is to help them, pray for them, that they will come to the knowledge of the true God, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross and who rose again. So there are people who don't necessarily know. Just seeing where I am. (laughs) So we guard ourselves against false prophets by being aware of their fruits. Uh, grapes and figs were common, a common fruit in the diet of Jesus' listeners, of people of that time. People learned early on to recognize that the little berries on thorn bushes were not grapes and grapevines. So you understand, he's, he's saying they're not, they're not what you think they are, they're something else, because obviously they're, they're on a, a, a different tree. They're, they're, it doesn't, it's not something you should eat, you should leave them well alone. They're not... The same; they're not healthy for you. They're not grapes on grapevines. The flowers on thistles were different from the petals on a fig tree. So he's saying, obviously, you know the difference, and you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't pick it from uh, the thistle. You wouldn't pick it from uh, the the, what is it? The grapes from thorn bushes. So it's a very clear example trying to help people to understand that, of course, you would not go to a place where the source of where that fruit grows is bad, is terrible, is bad for you. So don't pick the fruit thinking it's good fruit. It's terrible fruit. It's not good for you. So how do we do that? How does, what's he saying? How do we identify people who are not bearing good fruit? And this might mean looking at several aspects of uh, a Christian, a leader's life and ministry, the desire for righteousness, desire for humility, desire for faithfulness, Content of the teaching being God centered and the fruit of that teaching. Does it enable people to grow in faith in Jesus or is it just about entertainment? Very simple idea. If I walk out of here today, if I was sitting here listening to someone preaching the word, do I walk out of here feeling I feel entertained today? I feel like the the preacher did really well. Good on him. Nine out of 10. I felt the church did really well at singing, at worshipping, nine out of ten. And I've said this before, the problem with that is that when you get to heaven, you won't get to rate how good the the preaching is, if there's any such a thing, or the, the worship. You won't leave worship when you're in heaven and go back to your heavenly home, whatever that is, and go, well, you know, being in front of God today wasn't as good as yesterday. You just won't do it. So we don't do that here. What we're not looking for is trying to find marks out of 10 to mark each other, mark leaders out of how well they did in entertaining us. What we're looking for is, did I learn something today about God? Not about me, not about leaders, not about teachers. Did I learn something about the Bible and therefore learn something about God? So those are the things we look at. Does it enable people to grow in faith or just entertain? Jesus says that the fruit is the inevitable result of who we are the good or bad fruit is evident it's obvious revealing what sort of tree we are so then he goes on Matthew 7 21 to 23 says not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven many will say to me on that day Lord Lord did we not prophesy in your name and in your name Drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles. Then I tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. I mean, that's always the verse that should send shivers down your spine, right? Jesus says, I never knew you. What he's speaking of here is a genuine verbal confession. Where these ones called Jesus Lord. And although it is important It is not enough by itself, as referenced in the previous verses regarding fruit. The fruit analogy still applies. Jesus stated that he is the one that people must stand before on the final day of judgment. And he is the one rightly called Lord. On that day, he will judge all people. But specifically reject those who put all their effort into impressing God with spiritual accomplishments is so common today that we see people trying to impress god probably not really impressing god and really trying to impress themselves and impress others god is not impressed with that i can tell you now these people that jesus speaks of has no true connection to him as they're not fully known who he is and therefore why he came so let's look at the meaning and application what does this mean for us, uh, then as it does today, what does it mean? And I'm obsessed with this subject. I read a lot of stuff about it. I watch good teachers about it. It is it is prevalent everywhere. And I would say this, that more so in the United States, there is a lot, a lot of false teaching going on, a lot. I would say, though, it's it, it, over here, from what I can tell, it's more under the radar. It's not so obvious over here as the research I've done into this subject. And Dawn would confirm that I'm quite obsessed about it. But I'm very much about looking and making sure that we're not, I'm not following false teachers, that I'm not looking for people who, who make me feel good about what they say. Now, when they say scripture and they say what it means, and I think, well, I've looked at that scripture and I, know, I, I, I think I know what it means. And I agree with them, and they say the same thing that maybe I'm saying. Of course, I'm going to say yes, I agree with them. Because it's about Scripture. It's not about whether you make me feel good, whether you make me feel good about a certain view I have, political view, or whatever that may be. But today we have a vast choice of of teachers, a variety of churches. And you may think this would be a positive thing. But there is a problem with this array of choice. What has fue- fueled this vastness of choice is society. Society has effectively crept into the church. So, worldliness we see has crept into the church, and it's done it very carefully, strategically, and tactically. It's not always obvious, it's not always clear. Uh, many you'll find if you watch, you think, well, what's wrong with that particular teacher? And they dress up language, they use very good biblical language to almost a Trojan horse. So they put in uh, heresies and false things inside what appears to be good biblical things. So it's not obvious that some will say, I don't believe Jesus is God. However, they will say he is and then say, but he removed from himself all the deity." You see how clever that is. What they say is they agree that Jesus is God until they misinterpret a piece of scripture that says when Jesus emptied himself, not only did he just not use his power as God, he then removed that power from himself. That's wrong teaching, by the way. It's not what that means. God choosing not to use his power as God is what God is doing there. So what they do carefully is to say, yes, I agree, Jesus is God, and then use something else to... What is called, I think the term is, speak out of both sides of your mouth, Is called. To say one thing here, but say entirely contradictory thing here, but you may not notice it. But society and worldliness has crept into this. Specifically, those in the world seeing church as an opportunity to gain selfishly in wealth and celebrity. In fact, these types of people are merely the superficial layer of the bigger issue of false teaching. The next layer is those who want to use that celebrity to make themselves little gods. To use this method by saying, if Jesus is not God, then I can be the same as Jesus. And therefore, I can also be God. You see, it's really clever how the concept works. Because it sounds like it's okay, because we say we want to be more like Jesus. The little God approach is that Jesus is no longer God. I take his godliness away. But he's a perfect man, which means if he's not God, I can be the perfect man as well. I mean, this is dangerous, heretical teaching. God is never not God. No matter what happened on the cross, no matter what happened in the resurrection, God never stopped being God. Jesus never stopped being God. They do it so that people will so believe in what they teach, that they're teaching in the eyes of their followers, is above that of what Scripture, scripture teaches, and I've found this so often in my own research that what we, what I find, is that people relegate Scripture, and instead they want the authority to come from the speaker, and it is a speaker. They're not, they're not teachers. They're speakers, uh, speakers of how to live your life well and all that silliness. So what they do is they, uh, people start to go, well, I listen to that person as my source of standard and what happens is the Bible comes second so when a person comes up to that sort of person and says look what you believe about Jesus you need to look again and understand that Jesus is God they go no no because so and so said this is how the verse applies did you check how the verse applies well no because my pastor told me how the verse applies I don't expect you to accept what I say here. I expect that you will go back and check what I say. I expect that you should check what I am saying so that I'm not the one running away and being your Bible. I don't want to be your Bible. Your Bible is your Bible. These false teachers take advantage of people's laziness in studying scripture an obsession with self-satisfaction in being entertained. It is a becoming a entertainment industry. This leads those people astray in their in discipline to not have Scripture as the one true source to know who God is, and so test all teaching against the perfect standard of the Word. There is another way to say this. It is, it, however, whatever level of study you do, can I encourage you to study? It doesn't mean you have to study at like a a master's level or whatever level. It's just when you read the Bible, you're doing more than reading. You're, You're actually reading it and then understanding it through the Holy Spirit. That's what you're doing. You're not just reading a book. You're not just enjoying what God's saying. You're learning from what God is saying. So right here, I might be accused of saying, well, you're setting a standard that's too high for me. I'm saying study is merely more than just reading. When you read the Bible and study the bible you're just taking in what god wants you to know so you are more aligned with who he is but this isn't new this stuff of indiscipline this stuff of seeking the the entertainment over anything else it isn't new we've had this problem since day 1 in genesis being easily led astray not by accident but by naivety so i think for the purposes of covering this particular subject i thought we should probably To understand true and false prophets and disciples, use Simon the sorcerer as a case in point. Really useful case to use, to understand what it means to both be a false teacher and a false disciple. So Acts uh, 8 verses 9 to 11. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Simon, as we'll see, had a fair degree of local fame. He was quite famous. He was honoured as one who didn't only have the power of God. They said of him, this man is the great power of God. He is the great power of God. The Samaritans, who he was mostly engaged with, wrongly assumed that because Simon had this real spiritual power, that it was from God. Yet that is just not the case. Simon, as many uh, scholars will understand, was a Magi. In the ancient world, there was this class of astronomers uh, and scientists known as Magi. We see this uh, in the story of Jesus' birth as well. But local wizards and sorcerers as well uh, also took that title. They used it primarily, they, this, is, this is their goal, whether they would admit this or not, but this is their goal. They used it to prey on the ignorance and superstitions of common people. So here we have people, the, uh, the, the Samaritans, open to learning, open to being taught about God, about who he is. And then we have someone going, I can take advantage of this. This open heart, I'm going to take advantage of this. So he comes along, does his magic, whatever that was. I would imagine it most certainly was demonic. And he impresses them, and they go, wow. And yet today, we don't have to really do many even so-called spiritual acts in church actually uh, as long as someone looks impressive at the front as long as someone speaks well uh, we can get carried away even with that and actually that alone can boost someone's celebrity status within churches Uh, and actually the preacher as well as just as well as christians altogether, need to seek humility no preacher pastor teacher should be seeking fame in any form whatsoever now If there are people that that listen to them, that talk to them, that that want to follow them, that's fine. The challenge of the pastor of the teacher is to not delve into that, is to not go, right. I am I'm gonna measure my teaching, what I do, by how many followers I have. And this happens all the time. There are some really good teachers that manage to keep themselves humble, even though they have many people following them, and list their YouTube videos and all sorts of good teaching. But there are many more who bank on followers, who bank on subscribers, who bank on people adoring them. It is a dangerous road that people take. And so today we have more than ever those who have infiltrated the church, take the title of preacher and shepherd, when in fact what they really are simply good orators, good speakers, able to convey a concept well and have it received. In Simon's case, he was able to speak well, but also tap into a spiritual power to seemingly make him trustworthy and give him credibility. The problem is the power of that was demonic. The source of that power was demonic. And so there are many false teachers today I can tell you to avoid. And biblically, I'll be right to tell you that, by the way. Paul did it often. Paul spoke out and spoke the names of people who were teaching wrong things, who are teaching unbiblical things. But I'm not sure the names are really going to help us. The names are not going to help us. Because in effect, the next one that comes along, so if I say I would advise not to listen to this teacher or not to follow this teacher, then you go, I won't follow them. The next one is just going to sprout up next. And they're going to be different tactics, different strategies to try and get you to engage and you think, well, this was different from the last one, when in fact they're not different. So it's, it's, there's no use me listing off a load of names of people. Maybe we should probably look at the tactics. What's the strategies that they use to get people to convince them that they are true teachers? The key is to look out for their fruit. And so what are false teachers and false disciples? The basic definition is that those who knowingly align themselves with someone who has proven to be false. So not only are you false yourself, you would then align yourself with someone who's also a false teacher and then endorse that person wholeheartedly in acting in a sinful manner, then themselves proliferating, that's, that's to continue that teaching, by telling others the same. So that, that's in effect probably the definition of false teachers and false disciples. It's continuing a falsehood and then making it worse. 2 John verses 9 to 10 says, Anyone who runs ahead does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching as both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. So do they continue in the teaching of Christ? Do they say that Christ is who he says he is in the Bible? Right away, there's your one tell straight away. Now, they might dazzle people with the way they speak and the things they say, and they might say, give you really good advice based on the Bible. But the key thing is, if you don't hear once of that person speaking about the attributes of Jesus and what they believe about him, you need to ask them. I accept you said said some really useful things there. Can I just ask? You didn't mention Jesus once. You haven't really spoken about him in any of the sermons I've listened to. So can I ask you, do you believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross, that he rose again and he gave new life to those who believe in him? Do you believe that there's repentance for sin? Do you believe that sin exists and that you have to repent of it? It's a direct challenge. You're You're not getting up in their face about it. You're not trying to, Trying to just annoy them. You're trying to say, Look, I need you, I need to know that you believe what the Bible says about Jesus. Often I've seen in my own research, you'll find that most people don't even talk about Jesus. They don't talk about the Bible. And what they tend to do is they have this thing, and this is quite common in entertainment as well, by the way. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this in entertainment, what some people do, if it's musical entertainment, they have a guitar and they might just stand up and walk around and they're about to sing a song, and what they do is every time they're, they're, they're about to start a song, they strum the guitar, and they go, oh, uh, and then they speak again. And then they come back and they go, right, so now we're going to do And then they go back and speak again. This is what they do, the same trick they use. What they do is they go, they open the Bible, and they say, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And, and this is what Jesus did. And then they don't mention the verse. So they open the Bible, so it's, it's, it's to make you feel like they've just said something from the Bible. You see, they're very small things, but they matter. Because if someone opens the Bible and then doesn't read from it, they're not teaching about Jesus. They don't tell you the verse they're teaching on and then take something out of context, you won't know. So the key thing is, what am I preaching on? Today, we are preaching on false disciples or false teachers. I read the verses, told you what they were, and now I expand and I tell you my, how I come to the conclusion of what Jesus was saying. Not because I'm necessarily right all the time, but I'm using scripture to back up what I think is being what Jesus is saying. So what we're looking for are clear signs of false teaching. That those who do not teach Christ deny he is both man and God, do not teach that he is entirely sufficient for all sin and fulfillment of the law. If they do not do that, do not follow them. Sometimes, though, this is not always clear. It's not always clear what they believe, or it's hard to understand what they believe, until the mouth exposes the true extent of their heart. And it doesn't always happen straight away. It takes time. They're very careful in how they lure Christians in to false teaching. Their hope, and I'm telling you this, this is the only way it works, their hope is that you never pick up a Bible. The only defense they have is that they hope you never pick up a Bible and check them out on it. And we think this is really difficult to see false teachers, but it isn't. Pick up the Bible of the things they were talking about and say, where is this in the Bible? Don't give me half verses either. Don't quote me half a verse and then use a keyword search Bible study as in effect to go, oh, this is what Jesus said. This is what he meant. And you'll find this quite often in false teaching. What you'll find is they'll do like keyword sermons. So, wherever I, I start with a principle that I want to tell you about, false, a falsehood about Jesus, about God Himself, and then I'll look in the Bible and go, where's the word that matches what I'm trying to say? And I'll, I'll misinterpret that word to then show that I'm right. See what I'm saying? What we do is inductive. So, what we start with is the Bible. And then we look into what the Bible means. We don't start the other way around and go, I start with a topic. And then I use the Bible to back up what I'm saying. It's crucial, but it's hard to spot. It can be hard to spot. So it continues with Simon the Sorcerer, Acts 8, 12 to 13. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself Believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So, what does Philip do? Philip, in contrast, this is the difference, this is the other side. He brings the message of the gospel, plain and simple. He does do miracles, but what starts what he starts with is the gospel. And people believed him over Simon, which is great. That's good. But it wasn't because Philip performed better miracles. It wasn't because he was more impressive, but because the miracles and signs done by Philip had this purpose to bring people to Christ. And so there was there was something more to the miracles than just the miracles. Do you understand what I mean? There was something more to it than just showing a miracle, healing somebody. It meant not only is this amazing event just happened, but if I believe in who it came from, which is Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit, and I believe in him, not only am I healed now. I have salvation in Jesus Christ forever. Simon the Magi, he can't do that. He can't do anything more than produce a magic show, in effect. An evil magic show, but a magic show all the same. They were Holy Spirit miracles that would ultimately last and bring salvation to those who would believe in Jesus, the enabler of the miracles. Now, some commentators say that there's nothing to indicate that Simon's belief was full in sincere and I will beg to differ with that view because I think even in this scripture alone I can show you from what I believe he never believed and the level of belief is important what did how did he come to believe and I'll come on to that and it, it shows very clearly but it will be tested so later on we're going to read now that how was that tested how was his belief in Jesus tested so then it moves on and we see Peter and John going to the Samaritans, laying hands on them, receive the Holy Spirit, and amazing things happened. And now this is where the belief of Simon is tested. 18 to 24 of Acts 8. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, at the laying on the, of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. It's a timeless story, church. This is a timeless story. And said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit Peter answered may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God my button keeps ticking repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So here is where we can understand how this relates to the warning of false prophets and false disciples. What Simon started with was receiving fame and celebrity for his dabbling in occult magic, occult miracles. He grew into that because people followed him and enabled him to do so. Because people called him the power of God. And so instead of rejecting that when he meets Philip, and Philip explains to him the gospel, he knowingly continues to embrace this little God adoration that he's getting. What he can't let go of, even though he's heard the gospel, is sin. He can't let go of his his want to want power. His need to be a celebrity, to have fame, to have fortune. Hence why we see him offering money, by the way. Money breeds money. What he's doing is he's saying, I'll buy it and then I'll sell it. You know, like on the market, what happens? You buy it low and you sell it high, right? We've seen that in the last week or so. But this is what happens. And he's he's no doubt, it's, he's bought, he's got to get his money back, right? So he's going to sell it to people. And I'm going to to charge you more money for it. Now we find that this belief in Jesus that Simon had was in fact all along on the basis of the power that he might gain from it, the fame, the, the legend. The key that Simon never really believed is actually found in verse 13 of our reading in Acts 8. Simon himself believed and was baptised. What did he do next? He followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. What's the first thing he does after he's believed and baptised? Did he, did he go and share the gospel? Or did he, was he obsessed with the signs and the miracles that he saw? Well, the scripture tells us that he was obsessed with it he was astonished. Simon believed and was baptized, but what he, but what he did afterwards, he followed Philip everywhere, and he was astonished by what Philip was doing. And then he saw fame and money in his future, because he saw a better set of miracles done through the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you go back and have a look at that, when you see Philip convincing everyone, and possibly from what Scripture says there, more people, and moving them away from Simon, that's tempting for Simon, right? So my, my stuff is not what I'm doing now is not enough. I want some of that in order to increase my audience, my adoration. He never, he never believed. Never believed. Simon got caught up in the man and the miracles instead of Jesus and his salvation. And I think, in fact, Simon, in some ways, was the sort of person Paul was writing to in Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3. Verses four to nine says, for when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Let me sum this up, what you're saying is in the bigger scheme of things, Paul's saying me and Apollos, nothing. It doesn't matter. You heard from us the word of God, but it wasn't us that made you believe. It wasn't us that, that brought conviction. It wasn't us that did anything. We shared the word with you and we left it to God. And God did what he promised he would do. And he would convince you of your sin and he would bring you to himself. And he would say, you're now one of mine. And Paul very carefully says, I'm not going to interfere with that. Simon does exactly what Paul says don't do. He follows Philip. He's obsessed with Philip. He loves what he's doing. He loves all the magic tricks as he's seeing them. Done. He loves all the, the miracles as he's seen and done, but there's no Jesus in there. He just wants what Philip has. So what Simon did was that, was what many do today. They follow a false gospel that says, give money to God and he will make you money. That the only reason to follow God is for my worldly benefit. And it's no less comparable to that which has happened in this last week with stock market traders making money out of misery. Simon cannot promise anything past the the demonic tricks that he's doing. There's nothing more to it. He's making money out of misery. So too do false teachers who prey on other people's misery in order to give them a false hope. Believe in the miracle. Believe in the miracle. What they do is they lure them into this pointless circular principle. That to get that hope, you need to believe that money gets blessing, makes more money. Money gets blessing and makes more money. And that's where it ends. There's nothing beyond that other than make more money. So they peddle this snake oil of false hope. That you'll be blessed the more you give, if only... If only you had a little more faith. You just don't have enough. The reason why you're not rich, you don't have enough faith. But Jesus says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move that mountain. It's simple to look up, isn't it? So is it about me needing more faith, which is why I'm believing in this concept of not making more money? But then Jesus says, You just need the belief, just the faith that's been given to you as a gift of God. It's not the the amount of it, it's not the quantity of it, it's just to believe that Jesus is Lord. And that alone is enough. If only you would give more money, then God will be more pleased with you. If only you would do more work for the church and God will be pleased with you. it's a dangerous and terrible cycle they trap people in make people feel guilty about how they perform as a christian and they do this on purpose because they want you to feel bad and trap you in a circular reasoning that you can't get out of and then you end up going i don't do enough i don't then you feel guilty and then you burn out and then you hate god because you think that's what god's done why have you done this to me god you see how it works See, if if they, they kind of want you to hate God because they want you to keep coming, they want you to keep hearing the false teaching so that you trust in them rather than trust in God. And that's what happens in the background. It's what happens when you really don't notice what's going on. In many ways, Simon switched from false teacher to false disciple. So Simon shows us both sides of these verses that we're looking at today in Matthew 7. The only difference with Simon was that he had the chance to be taught correctly by the apostles. And in fact, it was his own false teaching that he believed in. You know, today there's a sense of believe in yourself and great things will come. I don't know that that works. I'm looking at the state of the world at the moment. I'm not really sure it's working out, guys. I'm not sure it's working out. Simon did that. He believed in his own false teaching. Again, this is circular reasoning. He's just going back to what he already knew and going back over and over again. And it's just this ever-decreasing cycle, actually. Because where he's going to end up, he's going to end up in hell. He didn't truly repent. He didn't truly believe. And he did not reject that false teaching. And we see that at the end when he says, can I buy it off you? I'm sorry, if you think that's someone who believed, I don't know where you see that. If all along when he's following the, the apostles around and then he suddenly goes, I want to buy that, it means at the very start he was never a believer. He never understood the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He never understood repentance of sin. He never understood Jesus died for him. He never understood Jesus rose from again so he could have a new life in him. He never realized it wasn't about him. Here is the kicker. When he was warned to repent, you remember what he does in that verse? You remember what he said? He asked Peter to do it on his behalf. I mean, this guy just won't let it go, right? He's saying, look, your heart, he's saying to Simon, is... Is disgusting, it's sinful. It's rejecting God right now. You need to repent, and repentance will bring you salvation. Could you do it for me? This guy won't let it go. He will not let worldliness go. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to repent. He doesn't want to repent of his sin. He doesn't want to really believe in Jesus. Jesus tells all people that only those who do the will of the Father... Will be known by Jesus. How do we know the will of the Father? I'm going to say it again and I'm going to keep repeating myself in whatever sermon we do through the teaching and study of the Word and understanding through the Holy Spirit. There's no excuse for believers who think that the purpose of Jesus' mission on earth was to show you how you can impress people with miracles and become Godlike. That it was all about how famous and rich you could be after Jesus ascended to the Father. I mean, just think about that for a second. What these people are saying. I'm akin with Jesus. I'm level with him. I'm just as powerful as him, they say. But they're really good at talking it. They're really good at dressing it up, making it sound loving and biblical and all that good stuff but it is wolves in sheep's clothing. They are ferocious. In God's grace, however, he still offers a way to the true gospel. For those that will repent of their false teaching and purposeful misleading of of others, he offers mercy to those who in their laziness accepted the man-centered gospel. If they will only accept that Jesus is God and Lord over all, Including them, they will be saved. If he's just stepped down a peg and say, "It is Jesus and not me," they're saved. Healthy prophets, teachers demonstrate through their lives and character that they are authentic. They are authentic messengers of God. One John four, uh, verse one says, "Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God." As many false prophets have gone out into the world. The worst and most dangerous of the wolves in sheep's clothing are intentionally deceptive. They're doing it on purpose. They lie, they promote their own position, they want power. So look closely at their teachings and what they create. Do they follow Jesus? So just as Christians should be aware of false leaders and other people who claim to represent God when they do not, here he also says, beware of false followers. Specifically, Christ is warning those who hear him not to fool themselves into thinking they are true believers when in fact they are not. Now, let me be clear. When people come into church, or you you meet people generally, but let's use the example of coming to church, and people claim to be Christian, what we don't do is we go, right, suspicion mode. We're, we're on awareness mode until that person can prove that they're a Christian. Because that's not healthy. It's not healthy to be suspicious of every person who walks through the door. But what we're doing all the time is we're very actively making sure that the, the church is protected, making sure that that person, if they start to say things that may not be biblical, that we're instantly alerted, that it doesn't feel right, that when we read Scripture, it doesn't sound right. It is, as we've seen with Simon the Sorcerer, possible to state a belief in Christ, to serve in his name, to say, I I believe in Jesus and I'm doing this because I serve him. But it's also possible to do that without fully trusting in Christ for salvation. It's entirely possible for people to deceive themselves. Jesus states that above all else, a believer must have belief in Jesus Christ and who he is. John 6, 28-29 Then they asked him, "What uh, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, This is it. The work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. That's it. To believe in the one who he has sent. And then you start from there. I'm going to tell you now that people find it really difficult to believe in Jesus. They believe in God, but they find it incredibly difficult to believe in Jesus. Do you know why that is? It's because Jesus is, for us, represents, shows us on the cross how sinful and how terrible we are. And that's the tell right there. Can you accept that what Jesus said, what God said about you was absolutely 100% spot on, that there is nothing you could do to impress him, nothing you could do to earn your salvation and that only through him can you gain salvation. Only then, can you gain salvation Jesus is the one who will declare whether as i said someone can enter the kingdom of heaven he is the judge he will grant entrance or condemn those who have not placed their faith in him alone and they'll be separated from himself and the father so here is the hard truth christians are not called to be naive there's there's no excuse church we can look at the false teachers all we like but at the end of the day we have to be really discerning about who we listen to and especially we have to be in our bible there's no excuse to be naive either about others or ourselves as believers we're to be sensitive to spiritual deception from others as well as spiritual self-deception it's a big thing to do but we remember what we talked about the difficult road last week. This is the difficult road, church. This is the difficult road. Constantly aware and alert that there is someone prowling around. And when I say someone, I mean the devil himself waiting to devour the scripture, those who believe. Constantly. There's no rest day. The devil doesn't go away for a little while and then go, I'm going on holiday, you can have a rest. He finds little ways, small ways, tempt you away, he finds little things to undo or try to undo your faith. Don't underestimate him. And this is why we're warned that we ourselves cannot face the devil. We ourselves cannot even go near him. We can't beat him. Who can? Jesus. So I trust in him. Paul says, run away from sin. Run away from it straight away. He doesn't say, right, get your coat on, get your your sword out. We're going to fight. No, he doesn't. I'm telling you now, false teachers say this as well. They say that we can literally ourselves defeat the devil. This is wrong, church. Wrong, 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 wrong. Only in Jesus and Jesus himself is the only person that has defeated the devil. So when something comes to you and tempts us or tempts all of us in whatever way that is, Don't stand as if you can be Jesus. I'm running away. I'm going to go to Jesus. He knows how to deal with this stuff. We always need to be aware, and this is where the balance is. Yes, we're looking for making sure, being aware of false believers, false teachers, but we as Christians, because we know and understand the 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 point of Jesus and why he came, he came to pay for our sin, for what we did. We are always having in our mind a recognition of our own fallible nature. You See, so what that's doing, when we remember Jesus and we remember we're not perfect, we're being careful on the lines of judgment. Because if we judge a Christian who is really is a Christian to not be a Christian, and we've done it wrong on the basis of our own standards, guys, we're in trouble. When we get to God, he will not be happy, and I'm saying that as an understatement, he will not be happy that we have misused the gift of discernment and instantly judged that person. Be very, very careful. We are all fallible. We are all sinful in need of a saviour. Spurgeon says this about the sermon. The sermon is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Just see how thin the line is, church. It's so thin. It's not even about being wrong. These are, this is how deceptive false teaching is. It's almost, almost right. It almost sounds right. The line between knowing true teachers and disciples and false teachers and disciples is so thin that it could be so hard to spot. But in what some might see as an obsessive interest in this subject personally, I can tell you that there is a common way to tell the difference between true and false teachers and disciples. And it's, guess what? I'm not going to give you my opinion on it. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about them. False teacher wouldn't do that. Romans sixteen seventeen to 19 I urge you brothers and sisters to watch out for those who cause divisions put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned keep away from them for such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites by smooth talk of flattery they deceive the minds of naive people everyone has heard about your obedience so I rejoice because of you but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. many times i've stood here and i've said test everything i say check it against the word don't take my word for it that would actually be quite bad your walk is is starting to walk towards person centered worship to some degree i'll be honest we've experienced that here it's not about the man it's not about the person standing at the front in fact if leaders are true leaders under Jesus who believe in him, leaders should be quaking in fear. I'm telling you that double honor means double inspection. So we don't do this lightly, even though others will. We do it carefully. Because God will ask me, What did you do with the people I gave you? Did you teach them about Jesus or did you teach them about you? Did you make yourself famous or did you make Jesus famous? No preacher or teachers above God's word, no false teacher will ever encourage their so-called church to check them and test them against what they say. I've seen a lot of good videos of false teaching. I'm telling you, not once did any of them say, check it, go on, what I'm saying. Check what I'm saying in the Bible. It's true. None of them. They just assume that you would just accept it. If any preaching solely aims to make you feel entertained, warm and fuzzy, then first of all walk away from that smooth talk and flattery. But then check that you've not walked down some road to destruction yourself. This is where it goes. It is not on the false teacher. It is up to you to discern through the Holy Spirit, through Scripture, whether you are listening to good teachers who believe that Jesus is Lord. Check your road. Because for now at least, for this very moment at least, God is gracious in his mercy for those who will repent and turn from their ways. He is most gracious. Salvation awaits those who believe that Jesus is God who died on the cross for all sin and conquered death, so have a new life in his resurrection. Are we here to be false teacher hunters, false disciple hunters? No, don't waste your time, but be alert because they're around, they exist either knowingly or unknowingly. Our hope as Christians, as those who believe. In the core principles of why Jesus came, we hope that revealing to them the truth of Jesus will change them. And they'll be back on the path, the narrow and difficult path to Jesus. Our job, share the gospel and share it right. Let's pray and then we'll worship together.